The Ebola outbreak might be coming under control, but criticism has been aimed at the international community, saying that donations came too little, too late. I'm Helen MacDonald, Analysis Editor for the BMJ, and I'm joined by Karen Greppin, Assistant Professor of Global Health Policy at New York University, who's been investigating just that. Karen, could you start by setting the scene for us and telling us who are um, some of the international groups that have been involved in tackling Ebola? Sure. So we're basically about a year into the, the Ebola outbreak. Um, so the international response has, has been a little bit shorter, about nine months. Um, and since then, many different um, actors have uh, stepped forward to commit some resources. And these include, of course, the, the, the uh, big countries of the world, the wealthy countries who are the sort of more traditional donors and um, other actors as well, such as multilateral banks and private companies. And even in the particular, in this case, uh, we see a lot of relatively wealthy individuals giving money uh, to help stem the epidemic. So what do we know about the estimated cost of tackling Ebola? Who um, estimated that? What did they decide was needed and when? The Ebola outbreak is, is really interesting for the global health community because it's the first time that, the, um, that there's truly a humanitarian issue that was really just a health issue. Um, there was no other sort of earthquake or other type of trigger. This truly was um, what, I'm, what I've been calling anyways a health systems emergency. And so um, unlike uh, in the past where there's sort of, you know, an event that happens and then the international community gets together and decides how much money is needed, this was very different. Um, it wasn't obvious um, at the beginning of how, how extreme this would become. Um, organizations that were, were responsible, for, I guess, for making the ask for, for pledges from the international community have never really done this before. So it was never clear... Um, First of all, who was in charge of making these estimates, but also about how much money would be required. And I definitely think that contributed to part of the slow response. And so as a result, we see in the month of August, for example, a massive escalation in terms of the amount of resources that would be required. It seemed like every single week, the WHO was revising its estimates in terms of how much money would be required. So it was the WHO that stepped up and said, this is what we think we need at this stage. Yeah, and, and from my perspective, it definitely felt very, very reluctant in, in that sense of, um, you know, they didn't necessarily, they're not necessarily a humanitarian organization, so it was never obvious that they would be the ones that would be required to do this. But of course, they had the most technical know-how in terms of, you know, what would be required to tackle Ebola. And so based on that, we get the early estimates of how much money would be required based on sort of an assumption of the number of cases of Ebola, how much spread there would be, and the types of um, medical supplies that would be required to tackle it. And what kind of figures did they come up with? Yeah, so the beginning of August, uh, the WHO was, was estimating sort of uh, almost about $100 million US uh, to tackle it. Uh, by the end of, the, end of that month, uh, uh, the estimate was closer to $600 million. And by the middle of September, uh, and at this point, it wasn't just the, the WHO anymore, but broader UN agencies getting involved, the, the figure that was being circulated was for about a billion dollars. So we know a bit about how much money was needed. What systems are then in place to track whether this has been delivered? What money is promised by who and whether it actually materialises? 
Yeah, so the the main organization that's responsible for tracking uh, resources for humanitarian crises is an organization called UN OCHA, which is the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. Um, And um, again, as I said before, because this was not... uh, you know, this is not an earthquake. This was something different. This was very much a public health emergency that escalated to, uh, onto a level in which there'd be huge humanitarian consequences. Um, they themselves took a little bit, uh, look, took a little bit of time to start tracking this, right? So it didn't kick in because it wasn't obvious that this is what this was. What happened was donors started giving money, um, even to some extent before there were these large asks. A little bit of money was starting to trickle in to fight Ebola. And as a as a consequence, they started um, tracking the resources. And as you can imagine, in the context of humanitarian emergencies, um, it's it's not the most obvious thing that you want to stop and and say, "Hey, that's great that you're giving money to this crisis, but can you tell me how much and for who and and how the contract's going to be signed?" Um, but it is, of course, important from from a sort of policy perspective that we have a sense of this. And so, this organization does spend their time sort of proactively. Uh, going to donors, going to different types of organizations and finding out more about pledges that are made and how the resources are actually transferred over to countries. So it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an, uh, a less systematic, uh, data collection effort than, than there are in other types of international systems. Ultimately, it comes down to sometimes them reading the newspaper and learning about major donations that have come in from different sources and, and following up directly with those different organizations or people to find out how much money was actually allocated. And how did you become involved in this and what did you decide to look at? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of was being made in particular back in sort of September, in, in October about how slow and how inadequate the international response was to the Ebola outbreak. Um, and, and, and so my, my question was, you know, is that true? Is, is that actually what we've seen in terms of how donors have, have responded? Uh, and if so, what can we learn about why there were such delays? Um, and what can we uh, what can we learn from that for thinking about future future types of crises or uh, public health emergencies like this one? So you got data from the UN. Who were the major donors, and how much did they donate? In terms of who have been the most generous donors to the uh, to the response, uh, we do see sort of very traditional uh, global health donors being the most generous in this case as well. So, for example, the United States has been the most generous and has pledged over $900 million to fight Ebola. Um, The United Kingdom, about $300 million. And Germany, about $160 million. Um, And they're they're very traditional donors to global health responses as well. Um, The other uh, major donors have been, for example, the World Bank um, and the IMF, uh, primarily in terms of loans. Um, what is interesting, though, of course, is we start to see, um, you know, even among the top 10, uh, you know, Paul Allen, an individual, has has pledged $100 million to the epidemic. That's interesting that he himself has given that much money. We've also seen, you know, for example, Mark Zuckerberg has has pledged uh, $25 million of his own money. So there's, uh, it's it's unusual in the sense that we, we see amongst the leading donors, individuals um, actually giving resources. We've also seen really large contributions from the private sector. A lot of mining companies and organizations that are doing business in West Africa have donated pretty substantial amount of primarily in-kind resources, ambulances, infrastructure, 
um, in, in to help fight the epidemic in, in affected communities. Um, the other thing that's interesting is the large number of resources, uh, human resources that have been committed by uh, countries like Cuba and China, large numbers of, of medical teams from those two countries being deployed right into the, to, into the, the thick of the, the epidemic. Um, this, of course, is actually relatively common. It may not be known to people, that, but Cuba and, and China have uh, really long established um, practices of, of sending medical teams abroad, in particular to Africa. Um, China has been doing it for over 50 years, sending medical teams. Thousands of Chinese doctors are working every year in Africa. And, and same for Cuba. They've been sending um, medical workers for many, many years, uh, primarily to rural areas of, of Africa. And so it's, we see that here, too, in the context of Ebola, where we've seen you know, plane loads of Cuban doctors and plane loads of Chinese doctors uh, being sent over and setting up their own clinics um, in the Ebola outbreak zones. What did you find with regard to the timing of the donations? Was it too little and too late? So um, in terms of the two questions, was it too little and too late? Um, I I definitely, uh, in terms of the first one, I didn't actually find um, that the the amount of money was inadequate. In fact, total pledges thus far are on the order of about $2.8 billion, which um, relative to the current assessment in terms of the needs of $1.5 billion, actually exceeds that. Um, in fact, arguably, it's almost twice as much money has already been pledged to the Ebola outbreak relative to, to what international leaders have told us are needed. But what I did find was that the resources actually were really slow to, to flow. Um, it's, it's really easy to step up and say, we're going to give money. Um, but it is challenging then to actually get those resources into the field. Um, and this is a common problem in, in many other contexts. And um, in, in particular, in the context of, of the Ebola outbreak, those delays were important, right? Those, um, those delays likely led to the continued spread of the virus in the affected countries, and which probably raised the, the total amount of resources that are going to be required to fight this. Um, and so that, those delays were important. Um, and there's, in my mind, at least two sources of those delays. One in terms of when the international leaders were saying how much money was needed, but then once commitments were made, how much money, uh, how, how, how long it took for those resources to actually get to countries. And, those two- and do the estimates come with a timescale? So do the WHO say we want X amount and it needs to be delivered in the next two months? Yeah, that wasn't as obvious uh, in reading through the documents. Uh, I think the expectation is, is as soon as possible <laughs> whenever it, when these asks are made. Um, but of course, we know that's 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 just not possible, right? It's it's not so easy as just you know sending money electronically to these places. A lot of the resources that were sent were actually things that are we would call in kind. Um, so donations of medical equipment and supplies, human resources, um, all those things take time. It's it's really difficult to just you know pack them up and send them on the next flight. Um, and so as a result, it, it does take months for some of these resources to get to where they're, they're needed. So there's an issue of time you found specific to the Ebola debate. Was there anything else to do with the delivery of funds to Ebola that you think we can learn from? You know, a couple of observations. Um, you know, a lot of the resources went to non-governmental organisations. And arguably that was, that was a really um, good thing for, for speed. 
Um, but very little, and actually very small proportion of the resources actually went to the governments or the countries that are being affected by this, by these, by the uh, outbreak. It's sort of created treatment centers and created layers that are sort of outside of the regular health system. Um, And so going forward, there's going to be this need to figure out how to reabsorb those resources back into the health sector. Um, And this is definitely a lesson that we've learned from the context of HIV is is that that can have consequences, right? Um, Establishing uh, infrastructure outside of the health system is good for speed, but long run has the you know has the ability of for potentially of distra- uh, of distorting sort of priorities within health systems but also mm-hmm. in terms of like you know people's perceptions of trust people's perceptions of of who is there to provide for them um all these things get affected and and so it does raise some important questions long run about was was that the best way in which these resources should have been deployed and beyond Ebola were you able to conclude anything about how we track international donations in general and about how the money was distributed. Sure, absolutely. Like if you, if you were able to know that, you know, this grant was supporting the deployment of 100 health workers and those health workers were going to the western part of Liberia, um, you know, as an organization planning your own response, you may say, well, I'd like to put my resources somewhere else. You know, I've got limited resources. I want to make sure they're having maximum impact. Let me put them into a different part of the country um, or let me put them in a different country. Like... There's definitely huge variation I found in in my in my study about how much different countries were getting getting even relative to the amount of cases of Ebola they were having. Liberia ended up getting a, a, quite a lot of resources per Ebola case, uh, and perhaps that might explain why they've managed to at least in the last couple of weeks get the epidemic somewhat in check. Um, whereas other countries haven't yet. And, and so, you know, if we had a better sense of that, we might be able to, again, sort of more optimally deploy resources in real time to where they're most needed. You've been listening to Karen Greppin discuss international donations in the context of the Ebola outbreak. Her analysis of the situation is now available on thebmj.com. <laughs>